Professor. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Jesus said to the woman at the well, the time is coming when the true worshipers shall worship me not only in truth, but in spirit. What in the world does that mean? Most of the church worships us in truth. Others worship in spirit. Some claim to worship in spirit and in truth. Can't we get it together? Today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus is holy. The Father is holy. Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect and holy, even as your Father in heaven is. But the Holy Spirit is also holy. We say so when we state his name the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he would guide us into all truth. In fact, he said, I am leaving now. I have been the light of the world. Now you're the light of the world. And because of that, I'm going to send my spirit called the comforter, the paraclete, the alongside one. And I'm going to send him because you're going to need him. You're going to need him not only to guide you and lead you into all truth, but to protect you against a whole lot of error error, and also to empower you because he is going to bring my fire on the earth. That's right. That's what he said. And so today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look at the realm of the Holy Spirit. I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And before we launch into the deep with our special guest today, I want to lay a foundation with my own life and experience. My wife and I have walked with the Lord since we were five years of age. Now, we didn't meet when we were five years of age, but we've been walking with the Lord separately since we were five years of age, converted and uh, transformed by the regenerating power of God, conscious of the Spirit of the Lord, but only to a limited extent. I grew up in the church. My father was a pastor for 50 years, and uh, he was involved and found his credentials and so on in a series of congregations or churches or denominations that were within the broader Wesleyan tradition, but believed, well, they believed in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but only to a certain extent, because they had the idea that there was a second work of grace after salvation, a second work of grace familiar only to those in the holiness movement and later on in the Pentecostal movement, that was necessary in order for you to be able to truly live out the life of Christ. A second work of grace. Now, that second work of grace was not very well defined. I spent a great deal of time in one denomination My father was a pastor in that denomination, and they talked continually about the second work of grace, but nobody seemed to be able to tell us what it was. Oh, but you had to have it. And then my father on Pentecostal, well, you know, Pentecost, 
you go back to Acts chapter 2, and they were all gathered together praying in the upper room, and all of a sudden there was this great wind and uh, tongues as of fire that lit upon the disciples, and they came spilling out of the upper room, and they were all speaking in, well, my father with all due respect, was never quite able to read the rest of what it says in Acts chapter 2. It says, and they spoke with tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. His interpretation of that was always, and they began. They were all gathered together, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began. Began to do what? How did they begin to do it? What was the nature of what they began to do? Was there any evidence of what they began to do? It was all very confusing, friends. Until about 35 years ago, my wife and I felt this tremendous sense that something was missing in our Christian lives. Something was missing. There was a dynamic that was missing. We knew about God. We knew about Jesus. I had gone to a very renowned Christian university and uh, majored in religion, majored in psychology, had grown up in the church, knew as much or more of the Bible than many of the pastors that I sat under. But I knew about God. I knew about Jesus. But the interesting thing in the Bible is that God never commands us to know about him. He never commands us to know about Jesus. You know what he commands us to do? To know him. And there's a radical difference. So what's missing? Why was there something missing in my heart, my life, that of my wife, that caused us to search for several years and cry out to the Lord for some kind of revelation of what might be missing? Well, today on Viewpoint, we're going to talk about that. We're going to enter into that with our special guest, Greg Allison, Dr. Greg Allison, with his book, God, Gift, and Guide, Knowing the Holy Spirit. Greg, it's good to have you in the program. Thanks so much for inviting me, and thank you for the wonderful look at the biblical passages about the Spirit and to hear your testimony. Well, indeed, that testimony uh, continues on. If it were not for that testimony, you and I would not be doing this interview today. I agree. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yes. Well, you know, in Acts chapter 4, we find a situation that was very similar to what Jesus described as the end times. The disciples, Peter and John, had been speaking in the name of the Lord, and uh, wonders, things, signs, and wonders, and so on were being done, and the religious leaders of the day were very much like the traditional evangelical leaders that I grew up with. They knew a lot about God, and they were respected as the religious leaders, the rabbis of the day, but they didn't seem to know him. And Peter and John came along, and they were supposedly ignorant and unlearned men, but these same rabbis, the intelligentsia of the day, looked at Peter and John and said they recognized that they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they also recognized they had been with Jesus. Now, what caused them, Greg, to be able to recognize that they had been with Jesus, 
when nobody said that about the religious leaders of the day. What do you think? Well, you pointed back to Acts chapter 2, in which we read about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples and then the launch of the early church. So these disciples as having been with Jesus because they had been inundated with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, um, still proclaiming the gospel, the word of God, and uh, they distinguished themselves from the religious leaders in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in them and operating through them. There you go, the power, the power and authority. Those might be key words as we continue on with our conversation here today. Greg Allison with his book, God, Gift, and Guide, Knowing the Holy Spirit. One of the best books I've read concerning this subject, and we're going to recommend it to you after the break. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. The religious leaders of the day in Jesus' day spoke as one that had head knowledge, but they did not speak with authority as Jesus did. Even the unlearned people, as they listened to Jesus, said, he doesn't speak like the scribes. He speaks with authority. How could Jesus do that? It was because the religious leaders were not speaking empowered by the Holy Spirit. There was no anointing of the Holy Spirit on what they had to say. All it was was regurgitation of their minds. They were missing the most essential ingredient, uh, ingredient that would translate the truth into living color for the people that would be believable. We were talking with our special guest, Greg Allison, Dr. Greg Allison, before the break with his gift, his uh, book, God, Gift, and Guide, Knowing the Holy Spirit. And I want to make it available to you before we get carried away, because there's so much for us to talk about here today, a life-giving, transforming conversation here today. As you listen to today's program, I want you to listen not just with your mind, but with your heart. Because if you just listen with your mind, you're going to be like the religious leaders of Jesus' day. You will. And that's the problem with our church today. We're filled with information, but very little transformation. You know who brings the transformation? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what brings the transformation, friends, and that's what we're missing. The book, a wonderful book. It's an $18 book, yours for $16 on our website today. Saveus.org. God, gift, and guide, knowing the Holy Spirit. Actually, we should just call the book Knowing the Holy Spirit. Notice Dr. Greg doesn't call it knowing about the Holy Spirit. It's knowing the Holy Spirit. $16 on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. 
1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, Dr. Greg Allison, uh, if you go back to Acts chapter 4, you find these disciples, Peter and John, these unlearned guys, spilling out from the religious leaders of the day who have just beaten them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. So that would intimidate the majority of Christians today, I think. Just would. Because we don't know God, we just know about him. And so they were not empowered. But these disciples went back to their group, and here's what they prayed in Acts chapter 4. Lord, Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak your word by doing signs and wonders in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Do we hear a prayer like that in our churches today, Greg? Not very much, uh, because I think as you emphasized earlier, our churches focus on God the Father, the Son, and and that's right. But many of our churches neglect a focus on God the Holy Spirit. Why? Perhaps believing that the Holy Spirit is somehow like a lesser God. I mean, we think of the Father and the Son as, you know, the real God, and then the Holy <laughs> Spirit, this, this third dude. Isn't he like a lesser God? It's kind of like the Father and the Son are on the varsity basketball team or on the Major League Baseball team. And the Holy Spirit is on the junior varsity, <laughs> the minor league. Well, and, I and think that's just, exactly right. The unfortunate thing about that is that today, the majority of professing Christians across the country don't even give much reverence to the Father. They don't much like the Father. They like the Son because they think he's a nice guy. He's sweet and mild, whereas the Father, well, he's just kind of that Old Testament dude. Yeah, that's right. And then what do you do with the Holy Spirit? Again, he, he's the odd man up. out. He's the odd man out. He's kind of like the lesser guy. He's, he's on the university team. He's in the minor leagues just waiting, praying, hoping that the Father and the Son will call him up to be a major part of God. And that's just ridiculous, <laughs> isn't it? You know, brother, I, I tell you, when I got a hold of your book, and I, I've been doing this 28 years now, and... Uh, uh, done many, many programs uh, dealing with the Holy Spirit, along with many other issues of our time uh, within the church. But what I've discovered about your book is not only the honesty and integrity that you present dealing with the many issues that confront us concerning the Holy Spirit and why the church is so confused over this issue, but also you have done it in such a way that it's clear, it's simple, even your table of contents is so wonderful. And uh, that's what really grabbed my attention. This guy knows how to present it, and uh, we're going to eliminate a lot of the confusion today, and uh, hopefully there are going to be some people that are going to be stirred in the spirit of their minds. That's what I saw as uh, I came across your book, Greg, and I'm so glad it's a gift to the body of Christ. So the question then still hovers over us. Why is there such confusion 
hesitancy, ignorance, anxiety, worry, and even fear when it comes to the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit? I think one reason for fear is that we see excesses emphasizing the Holy Spirit, some weird experiences that there's and we go, hmm, if that's the Holy Spirit, I don't really want to have anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. Or, and another reason could be, you know, we Americans, we're pretty much control freaks. We want to control our lives. And we reason. No, you're kidding lives. me. I think so. <laughs> and if, if, we, uh, if we yield our life to the Holy Spirit, if we submit, to the Holy Spirit, if we're filled with the Spirit, moment mm-hmm. by moment, consciously submitting to Him, that means we're giving up control of our life, and we simply don't want to do that. No, we because the, the we're, we're ruled by the Spirit of science, aren't we? And self, and yeah, our <laughs> culture, and all that. So many other things that are ruling us, domineering us, conforming us into the world. And so we're fearful of the Spirit. If we yield to the Spirit, what's going to happen? My goodness, he may call us to be a radio show host or missionaries in Madagascar. We don't want that. Yeah, you know what? Uh, i got to tell you, uh, when I came into a genuine relationship with the Holy Spirit, I'm, I was a born-again believer, okay? Been walking with Christ since I was five years of age. Didn't go to, uh, you know, was not characterized by any of the things that would have uh, endeared me to the world. I was walking according to the word of truth. But the spirit of truth and the power of the Holy Spirit just didn't resonate or communicate in my life. I was informed about the Holy Spirit and about Jesus and about the Father, but the transforming power of that just didn't resonate. Does that make any sense to you? I think that's the experience of, may we say, the vast majority of Christians yes. who know about God, who have a taste of what God is, who God is, and what he can do, but again, for various reasons, are reluctant to know God, go deep with God, to worship the Lord, honor Jesus Christ, yield to the Spirit. And so we impoverish our lives Mm. by not being fully devoted to the Lord and his uh, desire, his will, his work in our life. It's interesting. The Apostle Paul, who gives us uh, the church relies upon for gospel truth, shall we say, primarily, uh, he says that if we don't walk in the Spirit, we're going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. He said the carnal nature is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And so in Romans chapter 8, he's very clear that we need to be involved in something he calls walking in the Spirit. Not knowing about the Spirit, but walking in the Spirit. That seems to be missing in large measure within the broader Christian community. I think you're absolutely right. So walking in the Spirit means journeying with the Spirit, not running ahead of Him, but accompanying Him, following Him in all. 
he leads us to do. Paul also describes this as being filled with the Spirit, so constantly yielding and submitting our lives to the Spirit's direction. And Paul talks about, as you just mentioned, walking in the Spirit so that we don't set our minds on the things of the, of the flesh, we don't, uh, we're not controlled by the things of our sinful nature, and when we do that, we can live lives that are fully pleasing to God, not by our own efforts, not by following the desires of our sinful nature, but by, by being filled with, walking with the Spirit, getting in step with the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit, moment by moment in our life. Jesus used some very interesting phrases that are seldom talked about from the pulpits of America. One of them is that the Spirit shall be in you as a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That part of it we seem to understand. But the second part we don't. He said, and it will be like rivers of living water. What's the difference between a well and a river? What say you, Greg? A well is uh, stagnant. It's contained. A river is, in many cases, rushing, moving, powerful, uh, directing, changing. That's the difference, isn't it? Oh, now wait a minute. That sounds very familiar to what happened to the upper room. It wasn't a river, but it was a wind, a mighty wind that came through. It was energy. It was power. It was authority. It was dynamic. It wasn't knowledge. It wasn't just information. It was something that completely changed those guys as they spilled out into uh, the thousands and thousands of Jews that had gathered from all over the world for Pentecost. It changed everything. We don't seem to have that power today in America. Maybe we're just yeah, not, well, maybe we're denying the Holy Spirit. What do you say? Isn't it to expect? I mean, Jesus, from the moment of his conception, was filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. And what did he do? He went I'm I'm losing you. You're, you're losing me? How's yeah, this? you're fading out here and there. How is this? Good. Okay, so so Jesus, from the moment of his conception, was filled without measure by the Holy Spirit, and he went about proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Christ, the kingdom of God, wherever he went. So it makes sense that when we're filled with the Spirit, when the Spirit anoints us and inundates us, directs and empowers us, mm-hmm. that we will do likewise, that we will go about wherever we go, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. All right, but what else did he do? It says he went about preaching, teaching, and healing. Yes. Preaching, teaching, and healing. Then he brought his 12 disciples alongside, and it says he gave them authority to do the same thing, and they went about preaching, teaching, and healing. Then, as if that were not enough, he called another 70 of their followers, and he gave them authority, not just power, but authority, to do exactly the same thing. So why is it that we have the idea that part of that 
has ceased today? There is uh, there are two positions on this notion of these miraculous deaths. One is called continuationism, which mm-hmm. you just described, right. that all the gifts like healings and miracles and prophecy continue be, continue to be distributed by the Holy Spirit. For some reason, you're you're breaking up on me again. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. We'll be right back after this break, friends. Hopefully, we'll be able to establish a, a clearer connection with our special guest because this is critically important. Knowing the Holy Spirit. Not knowing about Him. Knowing Him. We're going to need this if Jesus is coming soon because tough times are ahead. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. We're talking about the Holy Spirit here today, knowing the Holy Spirit. Uh, for some reason, uh, the signal with our guest was dropping off, and we have not yet uh, made reconnection. Hopefully, we will. Uh, the book is a treasure trove. This book is a treasure trove, friends. It's an $18 book, yours for $16, on our website, saveus.org. SaveUs.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and we're going to get the book in your hands. It's going to answer a whole lot of questions. It's going to eliminate a great deal of confusion. It's also going to help to discuss some of the, well, should we say, questions that are brought up in our various communities, our churches and denominations and so on, concerning the present activity of the Holy Spirit. Some might say, well, and by the way, our guest has now rejoined us, and it's so great to uh, have him back with us. But let's, let's look at it this way. Some might ask, well, if Jesus was the Son of God, did he have to be empowered or anointed by the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is yes, but he did not have to be reborn because he never sinned. And therefore, he was infused with the Holy Spirit, anointed by the Holy Spirit from birth, 
but that had to be manifested in an open and public way so that the people would realize he was not exempt from that necessity. So how was that done? When he was baptized by John the baptizer, not because he had sinned, but because it was necessary to fulfill all righteousness, then the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was already upon him was manifested by that spirit manifesting itself as a dove coming upon him. That answers that question. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit to do the will of the Father. You, my friend, if you're born again, truly born again, are anointed by the Spirit to do the will of the Father. Question, are you doing it? And if not, why not? Our special guest again today, Greg Allison, uh, with his wonderful book, Knowing the Holy Spirit. It seems to me, Greg, that an awful lot is lost in the translation Uh, within our congregations, within our denominations, concerning the Holy Spirit, it's almost as if we see the Holy Spirit as some ephemeral kind of spirit out there in the never-never land uh, that, yes, is very God, but kind of disassociated with God. And so we're going to rely upon Jesus because he's the only one that came to earth that we could touch. What say you? Yes, I think another misunderstanding is the spirit is, as you mentioned, ephemeral. He's like a ghost, like he's a force or a power only. Mm-hmm. And I think the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, not just a power. Yes, he's a powerful divine person, but he's not just his power. He's not the same as an influence or force. He is a divine person. And thus, he is to be treated that way. And yes, we may say the Father is somewhat easier for us to uh, understand, and the Son, because, because he became incarnate, is easier for us to grasp. But remember, we, we baptize people, we baptize them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Except so, for the Jesus-only folk. Except for the Jesus-only folk, right. But if we baptism in the name of the triune God, then we're affirming that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three divine persons, one God, and they honored and adored and respected. All right. Now, you have a, a chapter called The Holy Spirit's Work of Speaking. And I found this uh, fascinating. Uh, I agree with everything that you said there. And you said the Holy Spirit engages in the particular work of speaking. What do you mean by that? When we look at biblical passages about the whole coming upon people, upon people like the judge or the prophet king, like Saul, more often than not, we find these people speaking by the Holy Spirit. They praise God, they prophesy, they pray, they preach, they proclaim the good news. And so more often than not, we see the Holy Spirit comes upon people in the Bible, and they speak. And so what I'm affirming is that before 
before we preach or teach or do counsel. We're still, we're losing you again. Greg, we're, we're periodically losing you. I don't understand that because I'm, I, I'm not moving at all. Okay, well, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, just keep that phone right in front of your face there uh, because we don't want to miss a single important word that you have to say here. If we go to the Old Testament, we find over and over again the Holy Spirit came upon somebody and they spoke. They prophesied, the Bible says. Even King Saul prophesied. And then we go to the New Testament, and uh, yes, the disciples uh, spoke uh, as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance, and uh, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak the Word of God. But then we also find the Gentiles had the same experience, like Cornelius, the Roman centurion. He also spoke when the Holy Spirit uh, came upon him. That's exactly right. And that's my point in saying that the Holy Spirit, his particular work is that of speaking. And when we think about the Bible itself, our written word of God, we say that Scripture is God-breathed, or we say that the Holy Spirit was carrying the, the biblical authors, Moses, Malachi, and Matthew, the Holy Spirit was bearing them along. He was carrying them along so that what they wrote was the Word of God. So the Spirit has this particular role of speaking. Thus, when we are going to preach or teach or give counsel to people, lead a meeting, whatever, we should ask the Holy Spirit to give us the proper words of comfort, of encouragement, of rebuke, of exhortation, uh, so that we, too, being filled with the Holy Spirit, might bring, uh, might pray and praise and prophesy and preach and uh, fulfilling the will of God. You know, this is one of the reasons, Greg, why I never come to this broadcast desk with a script, ever. That way, I must rely upon the Holy Spirit to both inspire and speak. It changes everything. That's his particular role. Yeah, that's his particular uh, work in our life, isn't it? it? It really is. And when we script things, what we're really doing is say, I want to be in control. I don't really trust the Holy Spirit to inspire me. It goes back to our earlier discussion. We are often reluctant to yield to the Spirit because we want to control our lives. Mm-hmm. And we're afraid if we uh, follow the Spirit and yield to Him, He's going to ask us to do something we simply don't want to do. And this so is one of the problems that, that uh, I had with the whole idea of speaking in tongues. And I think it's one of the problems that uh, has prevented Americans from embracing that understanding because it's like, well, I'm out of control then. I'm not in control. I speak English, or I speak French, or I speak Russian. I don't speak whatever this other is, so I'm not in control. Therefore, in order to justify my desire to be in control, I say, well, that's not for today. That ceased with the disciples. I think it's interesting that in Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, 
in which Paul commands us to constantly be filled with or yield to the Holy Spirit moment by moment. Mm-hmm. He lists four results of yielding our lives to the Holy Spirit. One of those is that our church, when it's filled with the Spirit, will experience deep, profound community, relationship. Mm-hmm. Secondly, we, as a community, as a church, we will worship the Lord authentically uh, all together. Thirdly, we will always give thanks in all things uh, through uh, to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. So we will be a thankful, grateful community. And fourthly, fourthly, we will submit to you. Will we will yield to? We will honor one another. So these are not strange no. uh, experiences. They're very important, unifying church experiences. And we should all desire that kind of work of the Spirit for our churches. They're relational uh, implications of the presence of the Spirit, but they're not empowering. They're not yielding the power that the disciples had or even that Jesus had. And I think that's what's missing. Uh, we and and then came the charismatic movement or the Pentecostal movement in uh, 1906 there at the Azusa Street Revival, and uh, out of that in the 1960s basically came emerged the charismatic movement, out of which the Jesus Revolution came uh, with that film, and uh, so we see those things having developed, but. The problem with those was, like everything that humanity touches, we convert it to the flesh. So that which is of the Spirit, born of the Spirit then, is taken over by the flesh, or distorted by the flesh, and then of the flesh it reaps corruption. So then we see all of the wild expressions that seem so ungodly, so un of the spirit and so we reject the move of the spirit in the name of well i don't like those excesses or those fleshly excesses that's part of our problem i think and pastors are a serious part of rejecting the holy spirit in our time i believe we'll be right back have you ever considered what the early church was like Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. We used to sing a song called In the Garden. In the Garden... And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. 
and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Jesus had that experience with the Father, by the Spirit. He wants you and me to have that experience as well on an ongoing basis. Because when we do, we're going to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Our hearts are going to be panting after him as the deer pants for the water. So our hearts will pant after him. He will also empower us to do his will. And Jesus said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So how are we going to do that in America today when the word obey has become the most hated word in the church? How can that be, yet we'll claim to be filled with the Spirit? Something is wrong with this picture, Greg. Yes, it is. And going back to uh, Romans 8, verse 4, uh, Paul emphasizes that when we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, when we're walking according to the Spirit, then we will fulfill God's moral will for our life. It's impossible for us to live out of our sinful nature if we're yielding to the presence and the power and the fullness of the Spirit in us and working through us. So that's the way, as I see it, that we need to yield to the Spirit, and then we will please God fully in our life and in our ministry. All right. Let's get real practical now. For the past 25 years, the divorce rate in our nation has been abominable. The divorce rate in the church has nearly equaled that of the nation as a whole. And in the Bible Belt of America for the past 15 to 20 years, the divorce rate has exceeded the nation as a whole by 50%. Are we walking in the Spirit? Clearly we are not. Because divorce is against the will of God. And if people are getting divorced, and there are reasons, many reasons why people do get divorced, but if it comes to that, I think it's a the husband or and the wife were not walking moment by moment with the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. trying to resolve the relational problems, getting help from their churches, getting help from their friends. It shows an absence of the Spirit, and that grieves the Spirit, it quenches the Spirit, it saddens the Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's not the way it's supposed to be, and it really encourages us. It should prompt us to live our lives consciously, moment by moment, yielding to the Spirit at work in our life. You used a term, quench the Spirit. How do we quench the Spirit? The Apostle Paul said, quench not the Holy Spirit. How do we quench the Holy Spirit? In the context there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 19 to 21, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, that we throw cold water on the fire of the Spirit when he is operating his gifts in the church. Okay, so hold on, hold on. So when the Apostle Paul tells us what those gifts are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13, and we say, not so much, my friend, because those ceased with the apostles, aren't we throwing cold water, elevating our own fleshly viewpoint over what God has said. I will say 
on behalf of cessationists who take that position, they would say that these miraculous gifts of the Spirit, like speaking in tongues, healings, miracles, prophecy, those gifts were given by the Spirit only to the early Church to confirm both the message of the Gospel and the messengers of the gospel. Don't we need that confirmation today? People don't even believe the gospel anymore, not even in our churches. Half of the people in our churches today aren't even converted. Yes, I agree. And the (laughs) say, yes, yes, the, the message and the messengers have been confirmed, so the foundation has been laid, so we don't need those gifts anymore okay so they were confirmed they were confirmed by the denominational heads Uh, they were confirmed uh by the end of the first century Uh, i mean i i agree with you i'm not a cessationist i'm a continuationist uh but i want continuation and agree on a whole lot about the spirit his presence his purpose his power in our life and also the gifts that everyone agrees he continues to distribute, like that teaching and exhortation and giving and faith and discernment of spirits and all those other administrative helping gifts. There's a lot that still unites us, and I want mm. us to make sure we don't lose that commonality. Yeah. Well, what if, what if, though, we allow the Holy Spirit to quicken our own minds and hearts in the staidness of our own preconceived notions or what somebody else told us rather than what the Bible tells us, what if we were willing to say, okay, Lord, I want everything you have? That's what my wife and I had to come to. And it was very hard, especially for me, because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I believe in evidence. I have to have proof. And I tell you, it was extremely hard for me because I grew up in a sensationist environment. But when I I came to grips with this, it took two years. It changed everything. Everything changed. Everything. Yes, I, I think we should always approach the Lord uh, come to his word with with this prayer. Um, Lord, I have my own ideas of what this is about. I understand you in a certain way. Uh, help me, if I have wrong ideas about you and your ways, help me to put aside those preconceived ideas, mm. those wrong attitudes, and I want to yield to your will, your direction in my life. Mm-hmm. I think if we all pray that, um, that... That, uh, with integrity of heart. Greater... Yes, exactly. We would have an integrity in our heart. That's right. Yeah. You know what? Uh, the point here is these things are not for argument. If we think that we're going to fulfill the uh, the purpose of the Holy Spirit by arguing about these things, we're actually quenching the Holy Spirit. Somehow we've come to the place in American evangelicalism that we have convinced ourselves that arguing about things of the Bible is a spiritual enterprise. 
We don't find any place in the Bible that tells us to argue. We're supposed to reason, but not argue. That's exactly right. And argumentation doesn't uh, win the day at all, ever. Ever. And it's interesting, It's in Ephesians 4, 3, uh, Paul exhorts us to work hard to maintain, not create, but maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Mm-hmm. So we know that where the Holy Spirit is present in our lives and in our church, there will be peace, there will be harmony, there will be unity. And when there's an absence of those things, then I think we can say the Spirit is not at work. We're quenching the Spirit. We're grieving the Spirit. But the Spirit does want us to be united as followers of Jesus, filled with the Spirit, honoring God, Mm. and not being destroyed by argumentation and nitpicking and bickering. That should not have any place in our lives or in our churches. Someone has said that... Over 90% of what we do in our churches today could be done without the Holy Spirit. Yikes. (laughs) That's that's a pretty serious indictment. You know, we get our well-oiled machines, and we run our (laughs) programs, right? And we we do our, our plans. And then maybe, just maybe at the end, we'll say, Holy Spirit, bless this mess. Maybe you're not even saying that. <laughs> well, we need the Holy Spirit to come and shake us up, don't we? I think we should start with the Holy Spirit, asking him to direct our planning and our programming mm. and uh, construct our ministries, and then do what he tells us to do in his power, rather than starting with ourselves, our own ideas, and then asking the Spirit to bless what we've come up with. I think we're <laughs> in reverse order from what we should be. You're absolutely right. You know, uh, as we come to the end here, uh, you you ask a question, what would have signaled to the church, say, at the end of the first century or the middle of the fourth century, that it was no longer obligated to obey the following New Testament commands about prophecy and speaking in tongues? And here they are, and they're all for the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Hmm. So apparently he didn't think that prophecy went out with it's the exactly apostles. Right. Okay. In 1 Corinthians re- chapter... Reason, Go ahead. Sorry. So a reason that I'm not a cessationist, but I'm a continuationist, is that argument. What would have signaled to the church that they should not obey those apostolic commands, those biblical mm. commands. I can't think of a reason. I can't give an answer to that. Yeah. So I think those gifts continue to be distributed by the Spirit and uh, should be operating in our churches today. 1 Corinthians 14.39, Paul says, Be eager to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. So you have a whole you have whole denominations that forbid to speak for tongues. Forbid. In fact, one of the major denominations in our country went on record. In fact, I know of several who have gone on record against the present manifestation of the Holy Spirit through speaking in tongues. Just completely went on record. Then missionaries from one of those came back to their denomination that has its headquarters right here where we're broadcasting today, 
and said, we can't continue. We are losing to the spirits around the world because we're not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit and you're forbidding us to do so. So make up your mind. Denomination, make up your mind. Either you're going to permit us to operate in the gifts of the Spirit or you're not. That's what happened a few years ago. Then the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 6 says, According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts if prophecy use it according to the proportion of one's faith. The same Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21 says, Don't stifle the Spirit or quench the Spirit. Don't despise prophecy, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. So the same Apostle Paul that the cessationists use in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 to say uh, that everything ceased, says, no, that's not true. How does one, a pastor with a straight face, conclude cessationism that all those gifts ceased when the very same apostle that they rely upon for that says not so. Yeah, uh, it's like I said, it's one of the reasons I'm a contininationist. <laughs> I, I don't have a good answer to that question. Now you're a professor uh, of Christian theology at a Southern Baptist seminary. You know, may may I say this just as a final word of encouragement? <laughs> I think there's a there, there's a, a growing awareness of and openness to the gifts of the Spirit more and more today. And I hope and I pray that that will continue uh, among evangelical churches uh, today. And that's because the spirit of our broadcast today, Greg. And I thank yeah, you so much. You've Christ. given a gift to the body of Christ here with your book. It is so honest. No arguments. Honest sincere presentation and friends it'll be so helpful to you knowing the holy spirit $16 we'll put this $18 book in your hands it's on our website saveus.org saveus.org give us a call 1-800-SAVE-USA write to us and seriously consider becoming a partner send your gifts by faith friends to save america ministries write to us and you know what without the empowering of the holy spirit you will not be able to stand in the evil day. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.